Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is a bloody disgusting podcast network. Surprise! You're all in for a treat. Boils and ghouls, lock your doors and strap yourselves in. From Los Angeles, California, Bloody Disgusting presents the Boo Crew Podcast. Horror news, commentary, reviews, interviews, and more. With your hosts, Lauren and Trevor Shand and Leone D'Antonio. Hi, I'm Lauren. And I'm Trevor. And welcome to the Boo Crew Podcast, episode 395. Leo is not here. He's not here. He... You know, I'm going to be honest, we didn't even ask him because we're so flipping tired that we're like, let's just do this. Yeah, it's just after midnight here. We finally got the kids to bed. I think it's it's been taking two hours every night to get the kids to bed. It's still their summer, so they just don't want to sleep. There's no schedule going on in this house at all. It's, it's so annoying. It's chaotic. Remember that book, like, Go the Fuck to Bed? Oh, Yeah. I used to read it to our kids. I didn't say fuck, but, you know, I'd be like, go the beep to bed. It's like a parody children's book yeah. that you read your kids you read your kids at night. Because you think it's funny. Yeah, but it's for adults. Exactly. Why are we still, like, needing this book? They're too old. I mean, the 14-year-old, she's fine. She's fine. But it's, like, 11 on down that it's just figure it out. I, I no, don't understand. No, but then they, they group together and they gang up on you. It's horrible. And they're they're old enough to not want to listen and to run all over the place and to watch TV and play video games and all that stuff. You're trying to like shut each of them down. And then once you shut one of them down, the other one's doing something else and you go and shut that down. The other one's it's like whack-a-mole. It really is. This is birth control for you. Yeah, for anyone listening who does not have kids. And does not want any here. Okay, do you want to be up for two hours, like, chasing children, and, like, nobody's listening to you, and you just, you feel like a loser, because you're like, how hard could this be? Yeah. It's really freaking hard. pull it off. Here we are, 1230, Leo-less. Yeah, four kids. You think by the fourth, we'd be like, we got this down. 14 years later, we got this down. No. No. Anyways. Uh, So, so, and uh, we didn't even release an episode last week. No. We've been like the shittiest podcasters ever. (sighs) Sorry, guys. It just. What's the reason? Can we give a reason? (laughs) It's like we've been releasing so erratically lately. Well, a midsummer scream happened. Yeah, that that was busy. Yeah, that was very busy. And we kind of took like a vacation week. Yeah. Took a week off work, hung around with the kids. We were supposed to go somewhere stuff ended up happening that we couldn't so we stuck around here did disneyland all that kind of stuff which is just as good if you ask me staycation yeah i love i loved it hanging around here but yeah i think midsummer was was a big deal for us and uh it was three days it was what was it july 28th through 30th out in long beach here which is like about an hour outside of where we live in the L.A. area. And it was great fun. We did a panel for Disney's Haunted Mansion, which we're going to play you in in the next few moments here. We talked to producer Jonathan Eyrick and editor Philip Bartell, who worked in the film. It was so fun. We ended up seeing the 4DX version of the movie right before we headed into this, which yeah. if you haven't, Check it out. It's it's like going on a ride. We've it's talked about crazy. 40X like nonstop. We saw uh, the Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny in 40X. I think that was our... Was that our first 
48. No, Scream 6 was our first. Yeah, was our first 48 yeah. experience. It's phenomenal. If you haven't heard us talking about it before, you'll hear us talking about it in this panel here about the and we kind of go over the experience you'll have watching in 40X. So we rec- we recommend that. Yeah, and if you can't find it in 40X cuz not everybody else, you That's can true. still see it in and non And they talk about how they they made it so that it feels like you're going on a ride. Yes. Different Dutch angle camera tricks, and it's very immersive in that way. Yeah. And it's very sticks true to the ride. I don't know if that makes sense. No, if you're a fan of the ride, there's so many elements that they nailed in the ride that it's so fun to see. Lots of Easter eggs. If you're a fan of the ride, you're going to absolutely love, love this film if you haven't seen it already. And if you have seen it, you'll get some new context by listening to the panel to what they put into it. That's right. All right. Anything else we have to say before we get into this? Anything else about Midsummer? It was awesome. It was so fun. It was the massive convention center. There's thousands of vendors. All our friends were there. We probably met you if you came up and said hi. It was so nice to meet you. That's probably our favorite part of doing these things, getting a chance to talk one-on-one. Yeah, definitely. That that was really fun. And in, in fact, actually, someone wrote a recent review that I will read now if I can find it. Oh. We're just throwing show prep out the window here. Yeah, we are just winging We're it. We're just winging this. If we had Leo here, we might be a little more organized. Yeah. But no. Uh, okay, so, so sorry if you're listening to this. Wondering what the hell's going on. Okay. Okay. Review. All right. Danielle 55. Five stars. Hosts with the most. They're probably not referring to this show. I was lucky enough to meet the Boo Crew at the horror convention Midsummer Scream, and I just have to emphasize how incredibly friendly they were, just as you would imagine from listening to their excellent and entertaining podcast. Oh, it feels good knowing these are such friendly, thoughtful, and welcoming voices in the horror community. Thanks, Boo Crew. Keep doing you. Aw. Danielle, thank you so much. We needed to hear that. Yeah, thank you so much. I mean, sometimes I'm like, we're the worst. Most of the time. Most of the times we're like, we're the worst. Let's be honest. (laughs) Yeah, okay. Well, I, you know, I'm glad that people think that we're nice because I try to be a nice person, if that makes sense. Oh, for sure. And that means the world to me because there are people that, aren't very nice definitely in this world and if people are coming up to us at a convention you're the nice person coming up to us yeah, and seriously. even caring about what we're doing and expressing <laughs> that feeling to us you're the nice one you're the nice one that's so, true yeah that is so true thank you for being nice to us <laughs> yes that's what, exactly the thanks go to you for being nice to us all right well let's get into it shall we yeah. The Midsummer Screen panel from July 2023, if you're listening to this at time of release, where we talk to Jonathan Eyrick, producer and editor Philip Bartell from Disney's Haunted Mansion. Go ahead, scream. That's all we need. Another victim crawls onto the gurney for a Boo Crew autopsy. Welcome, foolish mortals. How's everyone doing? Yeah. Hey, I'm Leo. I'm Lauren. And I'm Trevor, and we are Bloody Disgusting's Boo Crew Podcast, part of the Bloody FM Podcast Network. Every week on Apple, Spotify, and wherever you get your podcasts, we invite people into our home through a secret passageway in the wall of our living room and host conversations with incredible storytellers and creators who are inspired by the horror genre. They include everyone from Danny Elfman to James Wan, Elvira, Robert Englund, Eli Roth, musicians like Chelsea Wolfe, My Chemical Romance, Ghost. Phoebe Bridgers, Mike Patton, and hundreds more. If you haven't heard us before, we'd love to have you be part of the Boo Crew family. Now, part of the extended family of that now includes a brand new anthology horror audio fiction show we're doing called The Antiquarium of Sinister Happenings and Odd Goings On that Lauren and I created, which just launched this weekend. The first two episodes are available now, starring Kate Siegel from Hush and the Haunting of Hill House, and uh, Josh Rubin's uh, Werewolves Within. He's in it, too. And Joseph and Vanessa a winter from Shutter's Dead Stream on the second episode, so you can go check those out now. But enough about us, and uh, we want to talk about you and everyone in this room who's here to celebrate Disney's Haunted Mansion. Woo! Yeah! 
Hell yeah. And we got that brand new film based on the attraction. It's in theaters everywhere now. Now, isn't it just amazing? how this ingenious theme park attraction has become a source of everlasting wonder, inspiration, and comfort for all of us in this room. It's a project that began in the 50s and included Walt's famous team of Imagineers, Harper Goff, Ken Anderson, Mark Davis, Ex Antencio, Claude Coates, Rolly Crump, and Yale Gracie, a magnificent theme song by Buddy Baker, and an unmistakable narration from the great late Paul Fries that has been ushering us into the world of dark magic and imagination since August of 1969. Although he sadly passed three years earlier prior to opening, it is arguably Walt's greatest masterpiece. Being in Southern California, lots of you here today grew up visiting the Haunted Mansion. Conquered Fears was maybe what got you into all things spooky in the first place and created memories that have stayed with you all forever. I asked Lauren to marry me, actually, in our doom buggy as it traveled through the attic back in 2006, of all places. So this is a very long-winded way of saying the Haunted Mansion is important. And this new movie directed by award-winning filmmaker Justin Simeon excels at capturing the mystique and wonder that has galvanized all of us for all these years and many more to come. Before we introduce our two special guests, let's roll the trailer of this amazing film. Disney's on Imagine, everybody, yeah! All right, our very two special guests. So first of all, he is a Harvard grad who went from being an intern in PA to spending nine years at DreamWorks, eventually making it onto the Hollywood Reporter's next gen list and promoted to senior VP. He oversaw projects from Steven Spielberg, the Transformers franchise, the Academy Award nominated The Help, among many others. He now serves as president of uh, the film company Rideback, producing Guy Ritchie's Aladdin, Adam Wingard's Death Note, and several more. He is revered in the industry for his instincts with story and a tremendous Tremendous passion for film. Please welcome one of the producers of Disney's Haunted Mansion, Jonathan Eyrick. Also here with us, a multi-award-winning writer-director and one of the most in-demand editors in Hollywood. Throughout his career, he's cut the best of the best at Sundance, Tribeca, praised for his work on the Netflix smash, the five-time award-winning Dear White People, and the 13-time award-winning 2014 film it was based on. He has this remarkable intuition of igniting story through how he weaves it together. It is that sense of presentation and style of his that made the film uh, All the Boys I've Loved Before on Netflix, which is a cultural phenomenon, and has found him working on projects including Drew Barrymore's, uh, Tony Collette, Bill Paxton, Steven Soderbergh, George Clooney, Spike Jones. The list goes on. He's the editor for The Haunted Mansion. Say hello to the legendary Philip Bartell. All right, guys, thank you so much for joining us on behalf of myself and the Buku here and all this, this, this audience. We're huge fans of the attraction, and those who have seen the film cannot help but fall in love with it, including us. We saw it twice. <laughs> so that said, do not pull on the safety bar. We will lower it for you as uh, we get this extraordinary film underway here. We would love to know about your experiences, your personal experiences with the ride itself, both of you guys. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty easy for me. I mean, I, again, we're so happy to be here. I'm a huge Halloween person. So these, these feel like my people out here. My, my mom used to make a haunted house in our neighborhood for all the kids in our neighborhood. I now have taken on the role, my street in Los Angeles. I basically make everyone decorate uh, our street. We host the entire canyon that I live in for Halloween. So, um, but no, I, first time I was at the park, I was seven years old and it was my favorite ride. And I think Getting to go on it at that age, I think, is a really specific thing, too, because it is terrifying when you're seven years old. And it only lasts for about another year or two. You know, by the time you're nine, you kind of act like you're too cool for it. And then, you know, you start to feel the nostalgia for it. It starts to put a smile on your face. And I think going on it over the years is kind of what we tried to cap encapsulate in this movie, which is the tone of the ride. It is terrifying when you're a kid. It's still sort of scary, spooky when you get older. It's just fun and nostalgic when you're an adult. And I think it's trying to capture all of that in a movie. How do we, how do we deliver on that? So when you see the movie, you feel the same way, you know, and I, again, I have a seven-year-old. He will not watch this movie. He is terrified, <laughs> He's terrified of the trailer. Um, 
But I know in a, a year or two, it's going to be sort of perfect level scares for him, you know? And, and again, as an adult, like it, it just gives me all the, the feels I had when I went on the ride for the first time as a kid. So do you have a favorite part of the attraction that you love the most? Well, after hearing about your engagement story, I mean, I feel like I have to say <laughs> the attic. So I'd be a bad person if I didn't. But uh, I think the stretching room when, when I was a kid, you know, I think yeah. that was the part where the first time you go in there and you genuinely are not sure how you're going to get out, you know, like that level of dread. And I think that's, again, why the attraction's so genius. You know, it's like you, you know about the history. Obviously, you guys are probably more steeped in it than anyone. But that the idea of grim grinning ghosts, you know, that they couldn't decide, should this be scary or should it be fun? Should it be funny? Should it be terrifying? And the fact that they could weave both together, I think that was the, the genius of it. They had so many creatives who were on both ends of the spectrum and ones who wanted to sort of push the horror. They had ones who wanted to push the fun and the comedy of it. And I think that's what makes it so special. And again, we tried to bring that into all the people that worked on this film, that everyone sort of brought their own unique point of view to it. So you could get that very unique tone sort of under Justin's direction. And I think that was the great thing about having a director who loved the ride. He was always trying to, to chase that same feeling. And how about yourself? I was, I think eight or nine when I went to Disney world for the first time. And I was terrified of going on space mountain. My sister who was two years younger was all about going on space mountain. And so I was just like, eh, I don't want to go. Uh, but haunted mansion, I was like, take me to that. I could not get to that soon enough. I've just always loved things that scare me. I've always loved horror films. Um, and so the first time I rode that, I was in heaven and especially the, the cemetery at the end with all the ghosts flying around. I just loved that. I, I could tell that it was, uh, uh, tactical. It was, it was homemade. It was there, or there was, but, but I couldn't tell how they'd done it. Um, and that's uh, what I also like about some parts of our movie too. Just that there's lots, lots of practical effects in and amongst the CGI. I think one of the things that makes the ride so special is that once you get into that doom buggy, the whole world is closed off and the whole ride unlike a lot of different uh, theme park rides and dark rides, especially at the time, then all of a sudden becomes just about you um, more so than any other that I've experienced. And that ghost host is talking to you and whoever you're with in that doom buggy, making it a really intimate experience that is very, very unique. What is it about the attraction that you find people hold on to so dearly? Well, that for one. <laughs> um, no, I mean, I, I think it, I think it's a little bit of what Philip was getting at. I think the the ballroom is a great example of this too, where you know the Pepper's ghost trick. Yeah, you're you're looking down and you can see ghosts there. You know, they're they're really there. And again, you're not sure how they did it. It's funny you you mentioned getting the doom buggy because I remember the first time riding as a kid. I just thought something was going to come from behind me the whole time. <laughs> and and now you sort of forget that feeling almost. You go on it. And you're like, well, I know that's not how this happens, but first time you got on, you know, you're sort of trapped there. You're in the dark and you have that feeling. Uh, but no, I, th I think it is that sense of it's really there and I'm not sure how they're doing it. The candelabra at the end of the hallway, you know, those sort of tricks of the eye, like you just, it, it's so real that I think it feels different than any of these other attractions, you know? And again, there's obviously a lot that you go on. There's a lot that are just about sort of that immediate jump scare. This doesn't rely on jump scares. And I think there's something sort of timeless about the ride for that reason, but yeah, they they actually, uh, one morning we went to Disneyland uh, during post-production at five in the morning oh, wow. and got a tour of the mansion. Uh, and just to finally see how some of the stuff was done, I still didn't necessarily understand all of it, <laughs> but um, but uh, was a real highlight of this entire adventure. Just Isn't like that wild? It's something that, walk through. something that I marvel about too, that even you know the, the decades ago that that ride was created that the effect is still the same for audiences today they haven't changed it all that much really at all and it's still yeah. just as as you know impactful as it always been it's amazing um i would like to just reference that obviously like in 2003 was the first time that we had the chance to experience a filmic version of the haunted mansion it was a uh, rob minkoff's film with eddie murphy which i hold dearly i know the rest of you hold dearly as well we collect stuff from that film still costumes and props from rick baker and all that great stuff to this day a lot of people hold that movie as as a classic as well and it wasn't until comic-con i believe in 2010 in san diego where at the, at the end of a Tron legacy panel, 
that Guillermo del Toro came out at the end and said, this is my next movie. It's going to be The Haunted Mansion. In 2015, it was revealed Ryan Gosling was attached to it, who's a huge fan of the ride. He goes on it uh, all the time with headphones on in his Doom buggy. He made a band inspired by it called Dead Man's Bones. And this is kind of the trajectory that this film had taken. Now, as far as you guys are aware, in that whole time span, what were the challenges and different iterations that kind of led to this moment and the film that we see today? Yeah, it's interesting because, you know, we were not a part of those projects in any way. So my first uh, sort of contact with this project, it was, again, always something I dreamed about working on, but there had been producers on it before. There had been Guillermo's version before. Um, and they just sort of hit that, that you know, that development hell, as we call sure. it in, in film, where they just couldn't get over the hump. There wasn't a script that everyone, anyone felt confident about. I don't think sort of the shared vision was there. And I just finished making Aladdin for Disney. We had a great experience on that and sort of a great result for the studio. And they were suddenly open to having producers come in with takes on the property. So it wasn't just us at Rideback, my partner, Dan Lynn. It was a number of producers they sort of talked to and said, listen, if you have a way in, this is something we really want to make again. It's going to be the 20th anniversary. 20th anniversary of the film. We feel like it's the right time. We just need a great story. We need a great way in. And we knew of a writer who we were very close to. She'd worked with our company before Katie Dippold, mm -hmm. who again, in the world of massive fans of the ride, she is up there. You know, she will make her drive down to the park just to ride the ride three or four times. And then she oh, yeah. goes home. <laughs> so, you know, we, we knew we had somebody who not only revered the ride, but also she has a great humorous tone. She wrote the heat. She worked on Ghostbusters with Paul Feig, but she is a real horror fan as well. So it sort of felt like, you know what? She's the perfect person for it. If she can crack it, let's give it a try. And she really had a wonderful way in, which is, the, you know, the, the bones of the movie you see. And that was sort of the beginning of it for us. So, you know, I don't have a whole lot of context for sort of what happened before. We never sure. read those scripts or anything because we really wanted to just go in, you know, with this kind of totally original idea and, and see if the studio liked it. And Ultimately, they did. And, you know, we weren't put on as producers until they said, this is the way to go. And, and Katie started writing the script. And then soon after, we found our filmmaker, Justin Simeon. Got it. Well, tell us about finding Justin. What made him the perfect person to kind of elevate what Katie had put together? Yeah, no, it was amazing. I, I'd seen his work before and been a really big fan. I had seen Dear White People, the show and, and the feature film and um, you know, knew we could do comedy. Actually, only in talking to him, I had heard about the movie Bad Hair. So I was like, wait, now I got to go watch it. And it's 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 incredibly stylish it's it's wonderfully made it's scary but it's satirical it's smart and you know there was sort of a, a cleverness to katie's script too that he was just drawn to and creatively it sort of felt like okay there's not that many people who've done comedy and horror and sort of drama because there is real emotion in this movie as well and then when he told us he actually worked at the park during oh, wow. his college career that was his job and as every single break as a cast member at the park he would go over and ride the ride like okay now we have the person he also has a lot of family from louisiana new orleans specifically and i think also wanted to make sure he got the flavor of new orleans in this movie in a real way and suddenly it just felt like kismet all these things were adding up and it just felt like this is the perfect person who loves the attraction understands the tone has done work that sort of shows how we can excel in both ways and and again has a connection that goes back to college and, and actually working at the park that's fantastic. And Philip, you've had a little bit of a history working with Justin in the past. What do you like about working with him and his vision just in general, the way he works? Um, yeah, I've worked with him since uh, his first feature, Dear White People. Uh, and from Jump, uh, reading that script, I thought, oh, here's someone with a very distinctive point of view that is unlike my own. Um, I love working with him because he likes to collaborate. He's really funny. He's fun in the room. He's... Um, He's low pressure. We're just both like chill, but like to do the work, enjoy working together. Um, and it's just, yeah, it's, it's his, it's his, that he brings enough different things to the table to keep me excited and engaged and vice versa. Um, but he's just a blast. We just, that's great. That's time. great. No, it looks like it for sure. I'd like to roll to a clip if we could. The, we're going to talk about some characters in the film. Uh, can we roll sketched? <laughs> the good old hat box ghost, right? That's become 
uh, a thing of legend amongst fanatics. Can like I interrupt really quickly? I have never been able to like watch an audience from oh, that's cool. watching it. That was a bl- I want right? to test screen it like right? that. <laughs> so the Hatbox Ghost kind of, you know, an urban legend. It was uh, a few pictures had existed of when originally it first showed up in the ride just shortly after it had opened and then they yanked it out uh, apparently due to some mechanical issues that, that didn't quite get the illusion the way they wanted it to and then it ended up being put back in the ride in May of 2015, much to fan demand. Was there, I guess, a reason about casting the Hatbox Ghost and making him a prime character? Was that always part of the script that he was a, a central figure? Yeah, well, again, I mentioned, you know, Katie was a massive fan of the ride. It sort of knew all that history and there was never anyone else that it That's was going great. to be. So it was always going to be the Hatbox Ghost for all those reasons. But I think also it's, it's the one you know character that feels the most ominous. Sure. You know, again, there's a lot of martini swilling ghosts in there in the, in the graveyard and everyone's sort of having a good time. Like there's something slightly more ominous about the Hatbox Ghost, which again, is part of the whole legend that was built around it. So I think it was always clear that had to be the villain. Sure. And honestly, the, the, the biggest thing that changed was how much presence the villain had in the movie so there was early on as you see from the scene they're really trying to find out the identity of the hatbox ghost but the movie really played in sort of early scripts as as a true mystery so you actually didn't really know who was haunting them for much of the movie and honestly our first test screen it just felt like the audience wanted more of the hatbox ghost they wanted his presence in the movie they wanted him to be a bigger character they wanted to know more about his backstory so that was something we sort of built out over time during production and and thanks to the skills of Philip uh, <laughs> built out over an, an editorial as well, but it felt like everyone was craving that. You know, you just wanted you wanted a big bad in this movie. You wanted it to be the Hatbox Ghost, and you wanted to know more about him. Yeah, on casting well, uh, on casting this character played uh, in this movie by the great Jared Leto, who's phenomenal, and he, he's an actor who gives it his all in every role he plays. Uh, what was it about him? What was it? Uh, how was this character used? His persona was it motion capture? Was it? mostly visual effects or, or was his voice actually used for the film? They dropped an octave in his, in his, uh, it was, yeah, it's funny. So many people are like, you know, whose voice did you get for Jared Leto? I'm like, Jared Leto. <laughs> That's why we cast him. If you see the movie, you will not recognize his voice at all. Right. He was really specific about it. You know, again, to your point, he gives it all on every project and there's nothing where he says, Oh, this is a couple days of a, you know, voice acting motion capture. He goes all in. He wants to know the backstory of the character. He wants to, to craft that voice. And, you know, as you know, he's a musician as well. So he has his own sound studio. So initially there was a couple of recordings we did, and then he was like, not happy with it. And he was like, let me go off and do my own thing. And so he kind of, kind of created this voice in his own uh, sound studio and then sent it back to our director, Justin, Justin's like, I love what you're doing at this. And then sort of crafted it from there, but it really, he disappears as far as an actor and sort of the voice, you know, but that's kind of what he does, does in all of his roles. So um, it was fun watching him sort of, you know, have this very nefarious kind of, I mean, he was talking about like even the, the evil queen and Snow White. He's like, I want to go back to like the feel of that's like great. early villains in early animation. Like that's what I want this to feel like sort of timeless and scary in that way. So, um, so that's kind of where, where it came from. But yeah, in terms of facial capture, all that was used for modeling for the Hatbox Ghost expressions and, and character as well. And what was that like Phil, to kind of bring him to life throughout the edit? Uh, it was, uh, it was, it was really, it was interesting. Um, we, uh, the last time that he recorded, uh, we did it at his studio. Um, and we just kind of, we'd, we'd met him at the first, uh, the first record, but this is the first time where it was just me and Justin and, and him and his engineer. And I just remember like him walking in, uh, we were sitting down, shook his hand. I looked into his eyes and it was just like, I was looking forever. <laughs> it was just, <laughs> it was, it was very intense and yet friendly at the same time. Um, it was, uh, it was a lot of fun. It was, it was cool seeing how, um, he could adjust, um, he was tr- he tried some things out with an accent initially um but kind of we ended up with uh what we've got now i just i just like that it feels very it's got it does have an old fashioned yeah, feel it's got to an it. old like world an old feel dandy to of sorts or something yeah um, yeah yeah it was, it was cool we want to dive into the rest of the ensemble, right? You got Rosario Dawson, Emmy-winning Tiffany Haddish, Oscar-nominated Lakeith Stanfield, Owen Wilson, Danny DeVito, the Oscar-winning Jamie Curtis. Jamie Lee Curtis is in there, too. And some other surprises that we won't reveal in case anyone hasn't seen the movie. We don't want to ruin it for you. Tell us about putting together the cast and the chemistry and heart that you guys were looking for to materialize, so to speak. 
Yeah, I mean, it, this was always an ensemble, sort of the, the way Katie always crafted it, was you had this protagonist, Ben, who is somebody who is kind of on the verge of not sure if they even want to live anymore, you know, and, and I think that's what's fun about the ride. It's sort of you're confronting death in this ride. It's what we wanted the movie to be as well and wanted this experience to be in confronting death. You sort of choose life again, and it was very much the arc for this character, but it was always about you know, this ensemble that, you know, quite honestly, he gets trapped in this house with what he presumes to be some of the most annoying people he could ever be trapped with. And then they sort of form this surrogate family over the course of the movie. And it really feels like this is the reason I, I do need to keep going, that I do need to sort of choose life. So that ensemble had to be comedic. They had to be lovable. They had to be able to be sort of grating at times on Ben. But at the same time, we had to love them as characters. So in casting Ben, honestly, that was, um, you know, conversation with Justin early on, like he felt very strongly about Lakeith and about an actor who you know, he'd seen do incredible comedy and Boots Riley's film and on Atlanta, but somebody who has real gravitas, you know, it felt like you had to have that. You had to have a performance that could be grounded in this movie. If you were going to care and for those of you who hadn't seen it, there, there is a great, really emotional uh, payoff at the end of the movie that I think gets people every time. And I think you earn it solely because of Lakeith's performance. And then it was really trying to figure out, okay, how, what is the sort of one plus one equals three casting around them that can sort of make this movie feel like the event that we wanted it to be. Um, and honestly, it was sort of just it was going out to all those roles at the same time. I have to say it was one of the crazier things I've ever had to do as a producer because availabilities and schedules and all these things that, that, unfortunately don't line up as easily as you wish they did most of the time, but it was amazing what we were able to pull together with them. And I think, you know, getting somebody like Rosario who has just like such class and, and again, it feels so wonderful and motherly our young actor, Chase, who was um, incredible and underground railroad. And, you know, it was funny. There was a, some reviews that were like, I'm annoyed they cast a teenager for the nine year old. Cause he's so good in the movie. And you're like, no, he's nine. Like he's just an incredible actor. Who's like sort of precocious and wonderful it's and the character. Though, amazing right? yeah. in, in the film. Um, and then, you know, Owen is obviously comic relief. His character was crafted a little bit by Owen as well, which was great. And the first conversations Justin had with him, there was uh, again, a little bit of a spoiler alert, but he's a bit of a con artist as a priest. It's kind of why he's dressed even the way he is in the movie. You sort of know there's something off about this guy, but that wasn't the case originally. He was sort of just a bad priest was kind of the joke. And Owen loved this idea. He's like, no, I just, I, I'm always in it for the con. I always want, I want to want to be part of that. And it so much of the comedy came out of that. And that was really Owen's idea. He brought to the table. And then with, you know, Madame Leota, honestly, it was, you know, all of us, but you know, the studio as well was like, if we could get the preeminent scream queen in the world to be Madame Leota, it was kind of like, who's got the, the gravitas to be her, but also it was a sort of funny part too. There was some comedic chops and you wanted just an icon in that role since it's such an important part of the ride. You know, we couldn't have anticipated that she was about to win an Oscar as well. So sort of everything <laughs> fell into place, which was great, but it always felt like that was such a, an amazing get. Um, and then we had this older character, Professor Bruce, um, you know, that we were sort of just who feels, you know, and funny and lovable in that part. He was just a grouch. He's a grump. And one scene you'll see him, he's wearing a clear raincoat and a clear raincoat hat. He's just a guy who prepares for the worst at all times. And Danny's one of those guys who's just so lovable. He'll go for it every time. And then, you know, Tiffany, actually Tiffany was one of the easiest people to cast too. You know, we sort of always knew there was just, she just felt like the part. And I had made a movie with her right before this. And she was sort of already campaigning and auditioning for it. She loved Justin. She wanted to, to be a part of this. And we, again, just that, the comedic chops you knew she had, but there's a scene, this ghost wink scene that you'll see in the movie too, where you see what a great actress she is and, and really can deliver something that is really tear jerking. So yeah, so many moving moment moments. In Was this movie. it hard to find a balance between making this a family film and making it scary to appease that haunted mansion fan that wants to see something scary, but to appeal to a wider audience? Yeah, I mean, uh, this is a good question for you, because obviously a lot of that is dials you turn in editorial. You know, you have to shoot the movie that you believe in. But, you know, does that joke belong there? Does it not? You know, there's jokes that are on the cutting room floor because you're like, I don't know if this scene should be funny, even though that joke's really funny. So and, many jokes. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and, and that's the hard thing. So, you know, it, you're always turning those dials. It's funny, even the opening scene in the in his bedroom that uh, the young boy goes into, you know, where you see the bride for the first time. and 
I'm still like, is that too scary for, you know, a family? Is that too scary oh, for a seven-year-old? Awesome. It's awesome. You know, it, 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 you're just, you are trying to di- uh, turn those dials every time. But yeah, I don't know if you want to talk even more to how, how to find that tone with Justin. Well, I mean, it's how to find the tone, I think, just in kind of what we're all feeling in our guts. But also then when we screen it with audiences, it's like, you know, if this joke doesn't play, if, you know, Justin or whomever wanted to fight for it, let's let's try it one more time and see. And perhaps by shifting other things around that particular moment, it may play better. And the other challenges the audiences usually vary as well. So, um, but uh, yeah, it was, it was especially in like the last third when we've got so much happening um, and we don't know what, we, we were just trying to figure out, you know, do we need a funny thing here? Do we not need a funny thing here? Um, should we just kind of keep on the uh, action suspense, scary stuff or, um, or, you know, does it, does a joke work? Um, there was a scene like when, uh, like Keith is kind of talking about his, his past, his sad situation. Don't want to spoil anything, but I mean, um, Danny has a couple of really great lines in there and was it like, and was it like, is it too much? Is it too crass because of what he says? Uh, but then uh, watching it with an audience, we hear afterwards, like that was one of their favorite scenes. And it was because of that, because that's what you do with your close friends who kind of become your chosen family. You, Uh, are able to like, you know, in a really emotional moment, make a joke and you both laugh and you just feel better. The Boo Crew will be right back. Now, the screen has a new definition of terror. Fright. A motion picture experience ripped out of a nightmare. Strange sounds in the kitchen. Blood. A creaking door, a face at the window, more blood. Broken glass, footsteps right behind you, and more fright than you can stand. Once it gets hold of you, it never lets go. Fright. Fright, starring Susan George and Honor Blackman from Allied Artists. Rated PG, parental guidance suggested. an interview where Justin actually names you as the unsung hero of the entire movie. And I'm wondering, just walk us through a little bit of that process where you're working a movie that's a a big deal studio film, obviously for Disney with a very precious IP like the Haunted Mansion and kind of the responsibility and process behind the testing and experimentation and what that is like as an editor to kind of keep going back and forth and revisiting over and over again. Well, first of all, he said that because we watch RuPaul together. (laughs) 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 We're really really good friends. Um, But uh, it's, uh, I mean, it was terrifying at times to be honest uh because you know when we realized that we needed to get more hat box in it i hadn't been on a film this large before so it's like okay how much of this is falling on me individually to figure out how to address these situations but through uh all the collaboration that went on we kind of came to new ideas new things that we wanted to shoot um in terms of getting hat box in there but also juggling everyone's storyline um, because there is just there's so many characters so many things going on but still Justin's main goal throughout all of it was keeping uh, Lakeith Ben's story um, clear uh, and his relationship with Chase with uh, with uh, Travis uh, the young boy because uh, that was one thing that Justin said spoke to him was seeing uh, a black man and a black boy kind of having a great father-son-ish kind of relationship and seeing that develop um, but, but yeah, the testing, situ- the testing, um, I, it got better. I was just kind of like, as we, every time we tested it, we got better scores and felt that we were improving. So we felt like we were on the right track, but you know, like the first time you put it in front of people is terrifying. The first time I put it in front of a director, I always warned them like, this will be the worst it will ever be. And we'll, and it will only get better. Um, and that's, and that's, you know, generally speaking what happened. So that's, that was the kind of thing I tried to keep in mind during moments of stress was like, it will get better. This day might be particularly hard because we don't necessarily have the answers today, but we will figure them out tomorrow. Or if we don't have the answers, we'll test it like this, and that perhaps will help us uh, get the answers. So it just kind of like got uh, got I don't know about easier because it was always hard work, but um, but uh, it, it it just kind of continued being more productive as it went. Are there any stories from the set of things happening that weren't planned that were spooky? 
spooky. Um, like maybe any paranormal stories? I think Lakeith definitely had a bunch and he's, you know, he's a bit of a superstitious person as well, but there was a lot of weird stuff that was happening. Like in his apartment, things weren't working. As soon as he moved down to Atlanta, he was like very convinced that like we are in a full, a ghost he's in his own home. haunted yeah, house yeah, world yeah. and brought it up many, many times. And I was like, I don't know what to tell you. Do you want to move? Do you want to go somewhere else? <laughs> like, I'm just telling you weird things are happening. So, uh, but I don't know. I think it kind of, it, you know, gets into everyone, you know, I, I mean, yeah. I, I, the probably second month we were shooting was October, 2021. And I remember, remember getting to shoot in our cemetery scene on Halloween with the hitchhiking ghosts there. And you're like, this is so cool. This is exactly what you wish you were doing every Halloween. Everybody here, you wish you were there on set that day. Like it's just exactly where you wanted to be. So it felt like we had that, that sort of spooky energy around the movie, even if some of us maybe believed more than others, (laughs) that certain things were happening. So I'd love to know know, shooting in the, uh, French quarters, New Orleans, and and all oh, this beautiful. You see a lot of the culture, you know. You see a lot of the, a lot of the tra- traditions that they have there in terms of like funerals, and it's a great part of the movie. Um, but I'm really curious. The star of the movie, the house, the haunted mansion, is it a real location? Is it a real house you filmed in? At least the exteriors. The exterior was on the the studio lot in, but we did build it. So um, the full. F- the full driveway, the first floor of the house was all built. And then all the rooms were built on stages very close by. So that was all in Atlanta. Uh, the, the very top of the house, you know, you never build all that it sort of becomes right. CG. And thanks to our amazing VFX supervisor, and our team, I think it all looks very seamless, but all that lower part is, is practical. So we wanted to build that. And then where the driveway sort of connects to the entrance gate, that gate then ties into an area outside of new Orleans that we shot sort of where that, that driveway is where all those willow trees are, are hanging over. Both gates were there in New Orleans. So you actually, you know, for the chair ride, for instance, yes. she goes from a set interior to an exterior set to actually being outside of New Orleans all in like basically three shots. So, wow. you know, it's always trying to, to, to piece it together, but we did love shooting a lot of this practically. You know, I mean, every single one of those sets was real. Everything was there. Every. Even, you know, they were even all connected, which I think was a really important thing. Our production designer, Darren Guilford, had thought this early, you know, a lot of times in these big movies, you'll build a room here and then a small set will have a room here and another. He was like, it's all got to connect. You have to be able to go from one room to the next. You have to be in the library and be able to see across the, the hallway into the ballroom. Like, right. that's what's cool because you can't actually do that in the ride, but you kind of always wish you could. You, you wish you could be inside there. And it was kind of the dream for all of us being on set where you got to walk into the haunted mansion every day. And it's a real feels like a real house that you're in. So, you know, the stretching room was just off the library. All these were connected on the set. And I do think that actually makes a big deal. It makes a big deal for the filmmaker, Justin, but it makes a big deal for the actors too. Like, I think they just love being in a real environment because we're so used to these days putting up three blue walls and having a couple props and hey, VFX will take it over. And we didn't do that on this film. So. Let's take a look at the interior of the Haunted Mansion right now with a clip we have called Trapped. <laughs> so, so the big question is, was the haunted room actually stretching or is it just our imagination? <laughs> or is it just VFX in that, in that scenario? But um, no, but that, those sets were all, all connected there and oh, it was, it was really fun to be there. And, you know, I think everybody does probably know the ride really well, but even the, you know, all four things on the floor are what is at the bottom of the stretching paintings. So, you know, there's the quicksand, there's the, yes. the sharp graves. So we, we even had the nod there in terms of like what the, the sort of antagonism was going to be for uh lakeith and chase trying to get out of the stretching room but yes that was just really fun like we had a great time justin had an amazing time on this movie and again you're just trying to capture that fun and the flavor of the ride that and you come out of the ride you have a smile on your face you want to go right back in and you're trying to to kind of bottle that up in this movie and it's not only that but it's the angles that you're showing us the angles of of which we're experiencing the set feel familiar to us too it's when we walk up to the mansion. You've got that same shot of what it's like walking through Northern Square and approaching the mansion. Talk about designing that feel for us in the edit. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, that's a lot of Justin and uh, our director of photography, Jeffrey Waldron. I mean, kind of creating those, uh, especially towards the end of the film, you, there's a shot that's exactly out, out of the ride where you see the ghost dancing um, in the in the ballroom. And uh, so it was just trying to use as many of those shots as possible 
um, as often as possible without, you know, that getting old, yeah, <laughs> but just, yeah. but just, you know, things just, just wanted to keep reiterate, um, keep expressing visually our love for the ride. And so we just, you know, anything that was like that, we made sure to use. Was there anything in particular about the flow of the ride itself that informed you in the edit at all? I don't think so. I mean, it's just the, it's the overall tone of the film. Uh, that was, that was the main thing. Um, I don't, yeah, yeah, I don't think, I don't think. I, I would say the only thing that probably did was, you know, from what we learned in the very first preview till the end, the movie didn't end in the cemetery originally. So that was something we sort of discovered in terms of like, how do we make the third act feel bigger? How do we deliver on some, some of the hat box go stuff that clearly they were craving sure. and the originally it ended in the basement. And when we sort of went back for additional photography and we were working, reworking certain things, we did think, you know, the ride ends in the cemetery. Like let's have this movie end in the cemetery. It's going to be big and fun and sort of feel like you do when you come out and, you know, to your point, when you get to the end of the ride and all of a sudden, like, you, you see the sky, it just, it feels huge to you, yeah. especially when you're a kid on the ride. We wanted that feeling as well. So I do think it's even just sort of the, the ride you go on ending there, that would, that did inform some of the, the changes we made for the third act. Yeah. Yeah. I believe there's five haunted mansion attractions around the world. Was there any inspiration taken from any of the other parks? Attraction. The only big one, which as you'll see, Crump Manor for those who haven't seen um, is the exterior of the haunted mansion in Orlando. So I, it's funny. I did go to that one when I was eight years old and then totally forgot because I've been to the one here in California <laughs> a million times. And then when you look it up, you're like, oh, right. It's sort of this gothic brick mansion. You kind of forget what the exterior looks like if, if you're not from the East Coast. So um, we, we did want to make sure there's obviously tons of fans that are used to going to the one in Orlando and mm -hmm. have that as their association of the Haunted Mansion, not the sort of New Orleans feel that all of us know in Southern California. So that was kind of the one big nod to make sure that that mansion looked exactly like the Orlando one. And tell us a bit about the, um, I guess the way that the team and how important it was to the team to have all those nods to the original ride. You've done it through production design. You've done it ingeniously through little subtle hints, not necessarily straight up dialogue, little moments in the film that we just feel familiar and we recognize instantly. Was that something that was evolved over time? Did you add things continually to that or was that all in Katie's original version? Certainly a lot was because she was such a huge fan, but I think Justin brought a ton of that to the table as well as a fan of the ride himself. Again, the, the idea of sort of that sort of Pepper's ghost trick being like the inspiration for Justin of how we do the effects, all those ghosts you see in the movie, like these are real actors in makeup, in prosthetics that we shot. And then you sort of add digital elements to them to make them sort of feel a bit more ethereal. But Justin's like, I need them there. You know, like we can't just shoot a bunch of hallways and have no ghost there. Like I want actors cast and so i think that was that was a lot of it for him just you know making sure you had all those those you know the the feel of the ghost was there but then our production designer darren guilford he is obsessed with the ride you know all the door handles are exactly the same the wallpaper is exactly the same actually there's a couple of custom wallpapers he made for the ride oh, for the movie great. that you're yeah. like this should be in the ride right, it feels right, so right. much <laughs> like it you know so i think there was just a lot of people who loved it that tried to put as many of those into the movie as possible. But even the sequence you just saw, you know, that is our no windows, no door sequence. You sort of knew you were going to have to have that at some point in the movie. You know, it felt like every sort of element that you experienced that you love from the ride. We just want to make sure there was something that felt like it was there for the fans. And then certainly our composer, Chris Bowers brought the grim grinning ghost theme um, to life throughout the film in such a, I think, larger way than any of us imagined. I think we kind of hoped for it, but like when I suddenly started hearing his cues, uh, it was like, oh, this just, just is something that's so indicative of what makes the, the ride great is this, this is theme. And the way that he wove it through yeah. is very inventive and creative ways. It's not just the typical yeah. play the theme. It's, yeah. it's really, really cool. I'm wondering, was there anything that was actually removed physically from the original ride and placed in the movie an actual prop in the attraction. There was not, we could have, yeah. you know, it was, it, there was talk of that at times, but you know, but it, you don't want to do anything to the ride. You don't want sure, to do anything yeah. that would, it would detract <laughs> yeah. from it in any possible way. So, but honestly it was going through and, and you know, we went once in post-production, but we went in prep as well. Height of COVID when the park was shut down, we went to the ride also, which by the way is a weird experience because there's not even an animal at Disneyland at that sure, time. Wow. There's no food, so there's no birds. It's the weirdest <laughs> thing in the world. I mean, again, it was a weird time for all of us, but we did get to go through there. 
and you know, you you look at the Raven and our production designers like, Oh, we got to have that on top of this chair. And you, you look at all these little details and just one after the, Oh, we could use that. Oh, we could use that. You yeah. know? So, you know, we were able to recreate these things, you know, very easily, but you know, so we didn't actually take them out of there, but you know, sort of in some way we did, you know, we really did go through like piece by piece and sort of look at all the things that we could have and that could inhabit our own mansion. Sure. Was there any, Oh, sorry, go ahead. As as we saw from the clips and the trailer, I mean, you could look at the ride and look at all these details from the ride, you know, these small, like the paintings, the statues, the candelabra, the ghosts. It seems like you guys pulled off some serious Disney magic and somehow pulled off every single aspect of that ride into this movie. It all plays a role, either a character or to tell the story and move the story forward. But I would love to know what was the most challenging aspect of production uh, involving any of these effects and actors? When you started with the most challenging production, just making a movie in COVID period was probably the the hardest part. Um, In terms of the effects and the actors, um, you know, it's funny. I mean, uh, I think we were so well prepped on this movie. Uh, Pre-production went so extraordinarily smoothly. I think, you know, Justin is very detail oriented. And again, I think having gone to the ride again and again, I think he knew exactly what he wanted. I think you see a sequence like the attic sequence with the bride and we sort of knew you know, the, the idea and for those who haven't, haven't seen the movie, we didn't want the ghost to just be present all the time. So I think a big thing was sort of like when you go in the ride, like you feel like you're haunted because you can't see the ghost. And I do think a lot of ghost movies love to show you the ghost right away. The, the idea of this is unless you go to the other side, unless you go to the ghost realm, you can't see the ghost, but you have to feel their presence. So I think that was a thing. And again, trying to mimic that feel of the ride, the attic scene, I think does that really well where, you know, you only get to see the bride in reflections during that sequence you know but they're sort of scattered mirrors here and there so you can see her and then you can certainly feel that terror when you can't see her but i think that was a bit of the challenge of the movie too which was don't just give everybody the ghosts right away you know you sort of have to earn it and yes and eventually we're going to go to the other side you're going to see the ghost realm you're going to get to sort of live with all these ghosts but it's going to be sort of a slow burn to get there so i think it was just balancing like how do you have the effects and how do you see them in the right way without giving it all away too early. Mm. I was wondering if you can comment on the, just the overall personality of the camera and the experience that you intended the viewer to have and the experience that you do give the viewer. There's all sorts of cool camera tricks. There's great rotations. There's Dutch angles. There's all these things that are kind of designed to unsettle and invoke certain emotions, especially when we get to things like the regions beyond and the editing just goes crazy. There's all sorts of things going on. Uh, Talk a little, little bit about that personality and that journey that, you wanted to give us through that camera? Um, uh, we wanted, I guess, we, in terms of the ghost realm, um, we wanted the movie to feel distinctly different when Ben finally uh, sure. gets, gets, gets there. Um, and so the entire lighting scheme changes. Um, we add a little bit of like flicker effects to just make it seem um, different. Um, and... Gosh, I'm trying to think what else what do we, I mean, there's the, the lens effect that we use for yeah. you know, the flashback. So, you know, we sort of get told a story by Madame Leota where you get to sort of see a little bit of the history. You get to see a little bit of the history yes. of Gracie. Very cool. And by the way. Yeah. It really is meant to feel like that was all shot sort of through her crystal ball. Yeah. But that actually was a practical lens. It was a, it was a, a lens that, that Justin and our, our director of photography, Jeffrey Waldron chose. No way. It would have that sort of, you know, almost sort of, Big sort of, you know, on the outside of the frame and really have that central focus as if you were staring, staring through a crystal ball. So things like that, again, just sort of that feeling of like, oh, if Madame Leota is telling you a story, it should look like you're watching it through her crystal ball. Little things like that, you know, but then again, I think the, the slow camera moves are just, you know, have a, there's a lot that has sort of the speed of the ride too. You alluded to the shot as it sort of goes back and forth over the ballroom. But I think there was that feeling of like that speed of the ride. It's not a fast ride. Like mm-hmm. it almost creates more dread because you sort of, you don't know what's around the corner. You're sort of moving slowly at times. So I think there was a lot of intention in the camera movement by both Justin and, and Jeffrey to kind of deliver on that feeling. Sure. Sure. Did either one of you get to keep any props or costumes from the production? I did. I did. Ooh, <laughs> yep, it's not a spoiler. You can keep many. Um, it's funny. We did have uh, some of the, the statues that we put up in the, the library. So I kept one of those. Nice. And then there's these little um, like 
bat like banister things that um i i kept one of those too and there's which, one thing from the corrupt manor so which statue did you get <laughs> really creepy like elongated one um but it's uh it, it works it fits well in an office desk so yeah <laughs> nice is there anything uh, did you get anything uh, oh. nothing nothing there's probably still something I was in the editing room <laughs> <laughs> we can fix that Philip. I'm so curious is there anything that you got access to through Disney or Disneyland that the normally the civilian all of us wouldn't have access to in making this film. Certainly getting to see it with the lights on. Sure. That that was really cool. We wrote it once with the lights on. We got to walk through without the doom buggies moving and really just take our time and look at everything. We got to walk through with the lights off, which was, you know, even cooler. And again, you sort of just get up close to the, the candelabra effect and you're like, how far is that down there? Oh, that is cool. Weirdly, yeah. that one actually surprised me. I thought that was totally an optical illusion with just mirrors. Yeah. And it's actually a ways down there. Really? there. There's a big hallway. We actually got to walk down that hallway. Yes, there's extension of it with optical illusion, but even that one, I, I never really knew how they did it. And you're like, that's actually a really long hallway. That's incredible. That's, that's kind of how they did it. A rather fun thing though, we did a, um, at, right after rap with Justin and the cast, we did a big, uh, cast in our club 33. So oh, I'd never been man. there before. So we got to do that and have a, have a fun day at the park and, um, have Danny get stopped by every single person. Of park. course. Danny DeVito is the nicest man in the world. So literally everyone's like, Danny, he's like, okay, let me sign this. <laughs> Danny. Okay. <laughs> Everybody recognizes him. So we're like, unless we stop this, we are going to make it a hundred feet in about three hours. So, um, and I knew people loved him, but I don't think I knew how much people loved him until we screened it the first yeah. time. And as soon as he was on screen, the whole audience, you just, ah, you yeah. just felt them just so happy. Oh, yeah, and you just yeah. felt the love mm-hmm. going at the screen. Yeah, yeah. Every time we've seen it so far, the people next to us are like, Danny DeVito! Like, every single time. <laughs> you know he's in the movie. I mean, what the heck? <laughs> well, speaking of that, we actually had the opportunity to see this thing in 4DX the other night, which, I, if you haven't seen in 4DX, my gosh. I mean, you feel those hot and cold running chills. That wind gusts cross your body left and right over this thing when ghosts are there. It's There's water, there's smoke, there's smells, you're seats getting punched and kicked and moving all around it's amazing how's your back yeah right (laughs) (laughs) do you guys have that experience or did you have that experience at all like in the back of your mind while either in the edit or in the production knowing that that effect would be one of the ways that this film was released or does that not occur to you at all I think it does only so much as you're trying to make a movie that whether you watch it in 4DX or not, sure, feels like you're watching in 4DX. You Got know it. that, that it's experiential. That it's you know even when we do the mix, um, you know you want those like rumbles in the mix and Dolby Atmos. You want to feel like you know the the even when Hatbox comes down the hall for the first time, you know there's like some incredible ominous chords that our composer Chris Bowers created. Like you want those to just like get you to the bone, you know? So I think when you're making the movie, you are trying to think about like, what is the theatrical experience? And then I think the 4DX thing is just a really cool cherry on top to sort of make it even more sort of physical and, and, you know, there for the audience. But I do think we sort of think about that experience. Yeah. It's just experiential. You, and you know, when I was told that the 4DX was happening, I was like, Oh, and then it's just, I go through the movie thinking like, okay, what will they add to this moment? What do they add to this moment? And then our actually our assistant editors, uh, went to check it out, uh, and said that that's when I heard that, uh, it's very violent, the chair, which is why I asked about your back. Um, without giving away any spoilers, what would be your favorite scene out of the movie to work on? That's a good question. I mean, it it is funny. It's it's what's your favorite one to work on or what's your favorite one in the movie? I think maybe are different, you know, like I think to work on honestly is like shooting in the cemetery at Halloween is like the most fun to work on and to be there. Um, I do think the library scene, the one that, that Philip, um, alludes to, is is maybe it's such an emotional scene. It's sort of where Ben sort of confesses to everybody what happened to him or more specifically what happened to his wife. Um, but then it also has this incredible gallows humor. It's got Danny DeVito lands like a couple killer jokes. Owen Wilson has an incredible joke at the end of it. And I think that scene more than any to me does encapsulate that sort of grim grinning ghost feel, yes, you know, yes. like how do you confront death? How do you laugh about it? How do you bond with people? How do you yes. find 
fun in the face of tragedy. Like, how do you move on? I think that scene sort of does everything for me. So I think maybe that is just as creatively my favorite scene in the movie. That's a great answer. My favorite scene probably is the sketch artist scene, just because that's the one that changed the least <laughs> from, from, from when we edited it, when we started editing. That one's pretty much uh, hasn't changed. Uh, and it, it was it was one of those scenes where when I got it, I was like, oh my god, it, it, anything that Danny says in it wasn't scripted. And you know, my initial thing is just like, how can I, you know. Easy, easy, most easily put this together. And I was like, oh my God, Danny's talking over it. And I was like, oh, it is funny. Oh, that's funny. So as I kept on doing it, I was like, oh, he's really funny. And I was just like, I want to use Danny all the time. And then when he did the thing with the teeth, I was like, oh my God, we are, in, this is gold. Um, so it ended up being really fun to work on. Didn't really work on it much after that because we were all happy with it. And every time we played it, it played really well. Um, in terms of what I then, I kind of think ultimately enjoyed working on the most was uh, when they're escaping the house in the car and the trees are attacking them. And just because that one just developed in a fun, interesting way with visual effects as we started making the trees come to life. And I just loved the feeling of the trees slamming down around the car. And there was some fun improv stuff that's gotten a little bit lost, but uh, in the mix, but with, with them kind of yelling at each other. But I just loved it. It just felt like uh, a total cacophony of insanity. And, and, and so and I'd forgotten that there were trees like that in the ride until we went and watched, went, went through it uh, a few months ago. And I was like, oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> well, as far as getting that whole cast together and you're talking about the wild improv skills of people like Danny DeVito and all these great people who are working on it. Was there any anecdotes of things that were happening during production amongst the cast? Any hilarious moments or stories that either you guys got to witness uh, either being on set or heard about? I mean, Danny's always the funniest person yeah. in the world. I mean, it's funny because when you make these movies, and I don't blame actors at all, but more normally when you call cut, yeah. actors go back to their trailer, you know, and it's, it's hard, it's a long day, and they've got to wait around a lot, so they, they go back. Danny's like, ah, I'm too old to go back to my trailer. So <laughs> he just sits down with you at your monitor, That's and he's great. like, let me tell you some stories. Do you want to know about Batman Returns? I'm like, I do. <laughs> tell me everything about the Penguin. And so that was sort of the most fun for me. It just like, he just sort of regales you with the history of Hollywood. Oh, and, and I have to say, it's so fun working with him because he just sits down. And he's like, isn't this amazing? Look at where we are. Like, this is incredible that we get to do this. You know, oh, and you're like, so Danny cool. DeVito at his age and the career he's had still sort of gets tickled by the magic of it. You know, yeah. it just makes, you know, cause making movies are stressful too, you know, mm-hmm. and, and it, it, it's hard at times. Then you sort of have to remind yourself like, can't believe this is my job. I can't believe I get to do this. And when Danny DeVito reminds you of that, you're like, this is as good as it gets. So. And you have not lived until you've seen Danny DeVito uh, doing ADR when the actors come in to replace their dialogue. Uh, just like, you know, give us something of you writing down on the chair. Just, just, just hearing him improv. We were crying with laughter. He's so funny. <laughs> so funny. My, my other favorite part was Jamie Lee Curtis came to record the first time for, uh, for Madame Leota and she was amazing. It was like perfect. You know, like this is incredible. And then she gets up and she's like, she's like, thank you. But just let me know when we have to do the whole thing all over again. <laughs> it's like somebody who's been in this business for so long. Exactly. She's like, I know how this works. Exactly. You love it all now. You're going to have me change all the lines. I'm going to come back later. I got it. Just, just call me when you're going to come back. And, like, and she was right. She's kind of right. <laughs> We're going to wrap it up with one last question. So what are the ideas for the expansion or return to the cinematic universe of the haunted mansion. Is there a sequel in mind? Is there any other, any other ways of attacking this that you guys are familiar with or ready to go on? Yeah. I mean, we would love to, to take it on, you know, so I think it sort of depends kind of on the, the run of the movie and audiences and in not only audiences finding the movie right now in theaters, but I think for the next couple of months to come, you know, I think there is certainly feeling hopefully as, as Halloween gets closer, that this continues to be a movie that, you know, that, that everyone can watch, you know? And, and for me, again, I'm a parent of a seven-year-old and a four-year-old. I find that, you know, when it's Thanksgiving time, you know, 50 movies to watch with your family for Christmas. When it's Halloween, when it's sort of October 1st, it's like, well, you go back to the, the horror movies that you love if you want to get in the mood. But with kids, you don't really have that much to watch, you know? And, and I always find like, oh, I want to get my kids in the mood. And we end up watching Garfield's Halloween for the right, 30th right, time, right. you know. It's like you want to watch a real movie with your kids and have that experience and get in the mood. And so I think hopefully for me, that's the thing that not only this year, but for many years to come, people will come back to with this movie. And, and you know, it's cl- the clock is rolling around to October 1st. And what are we going to do to get in the mood? And, you know, you've got your family and you can all watch this movie and and it's spooky and it's fun and it, and it is scary, but it just kind of gets you in that mood. So 
I don't know. We'll, we'll see what the life of the movie is. Hopefully, it would be great to revisit this world, these characters, get the band back together would be incredible. I do know that, you know, there has been actually a, a Ryan Gosling hitchhiking ghost movie that, that Disney has been talking about. We're not involved in that one, but, you know, I know that's something else they've, they've kicked around just in terms of the world of the Haunted Mansion, but it was an honor to sort of play in this space and we'd love to do it again if we could. Oh, well, thank you guys both so much for giving one us this experience. Incredible. Thank you. One last one, thing. One, one, one last thing. One last, one last thing. Uh, you guys are officially appointed uh, Boo Crew Ambassadors. So when you go back to Disney, very, very important. We want you to tell the powers that be that we want the death certificates to make a comeback. <laughs> right? Let's bring back the death certificates. I love it. All right, Jonathan and Philip, thank you so much for your time and for your work thank on this you stunner thank of a you. film. Thanks, everyone. Thanks to everyone here for attending. Enjoy all. the rest of it, Summer Scream. See Disney's Haunted Mansion in theaters now. And see it in 40X, too. It's amazing. All right, that was the Boo Crew Podcast, episode 395. Special thanks to our guests, Jonathan Eyrick and Philip Bartell. Production track for this episode provided by the great folks at Power Man 5000. Until next time, on behalf of myself, Lauren, and Leo, who is not here because we didn't tell him about this just because it's late <laughs> and we just want to go to bed, it is the Boo Crew saying... Sweet screams. <laughs> Thanks for listening to another episode of the Boo Crew Podcast. Haunt the Boo Crew at TalesFromTheBooCrew.com. Tales from the Boo Crew on Facebook and Instagram. Follow us on Twitter at TalesFromTheBoo. The Boo Crew is Lauren and Trevor Shand and Leone D'Antonio. The Boo Crew is produced by Lauren Shand, chopped and sliced by Trevor Shand. The Boo Crew is a TSP creation, part of the Bloody Disgusting Podcast Network. Bye! A Bloody Disgusting Podcast Network, home of the Boo Crew. For horror-centric interviews, SCP archives, weekly full-cast storytelling, horror queers, genre commentary from an LGBTQ perspective, and creepy for disturbing and terrifying creepypastas. Listen free wherever you stream audio and at bloodydisgusting.com slash podcasts.